Welcome in to Other People's Shoes. As you know, I am your host, Neil Matthews. Thank you so much for joining me today. Really excited that you've chosen to hit play today. Always excited about that. Speaking of being excited, today is our 200th episode. Wow, when I think back to the beginning of where we've come and where we are yet to go, it is mind-boggling to me. The stories that we've shared, the people that we've gotten to interact with, It's just been a joy and a very much a labor of love in a lot of respects. A lot of late nights, a lot of early mornings, a lot of scouring the internet for the next guest. But I want to just just ask this simple request coming up in January. So just right around the corner. I know we're only in October, but coming up in January, we're going to be celebrating four years of the show. And I have kind of a special treat for you that I've kind of been putting together for you. I can't wait to share with you. But if you'd like to be a part of it as well, I want to just encourage you to do me this one simple thing. And here it is. Get out your phone. Maybe after you listen to today's episode, send me a little voice memo wishing the show a happy birthday, how you personally are impacting your world around you in a positive way. Let me know because I would love to use your voice in an upcoming episode of Other People's Shoes. Without further ado, Lucas, take it away. Hey, come take a walk with me. Not like you used to. Welcome in to Other People's Shoes. As you know, I am your host, Neil Matthews. Thank you so much for joining me today. Super excited about our guest today. Now, before we get to him, I, I just got to let us set a little bit of a background. Now, we had a guest come on with us back in July 20th. You might remember her. She did the no dot thing. That's Esther Panabaker, in case you're wondering. So, Esther, thank you for coming on. Esther actually introduces us sort of to this guy. So, this is how she introduces him. She said, Neil, listen, I know your next season is going to be awesome, and you're always looking for a good guest. I said, Esther, you're already speaking my language. I'm already hearing you. And she said, I think you should interview my pastor. I was like, oh, you know, I don't know. Pastors, like, I feel like we've gone down that road so many times and she said well you know he played at the university of north carolina as a quarterback right i was like you know what Uh, you know in hindsight let's let's think that over again what's his number how can we get in touch with him so he's not a tar heel but is he a tar heel i don't know help me welcome in pastor philip pastor how are you today i am doing great neil thank you so much for having me on this awesome podcast so you gotta help me with that are you in your mind are you still a tar heel i think once you are a tar heel you can't ever go back. I say I am 100% Tar Heel through and through. Now, I love that. Now, Mac Brown could probably use you right now with our with our new quarterback because, you know, he's doing all right. He's doing okay. Yeah. I think he could use maybe a little little bit of you in his ear. Maybe. I don't know. I think I would love the opportunity to be back out there. I mean, there's no place in the world like Chapel Hill. You know, I'm located in Louisiana right now, and I can tell you that North Louisiana does not compare to the beauty of Chapel Hill, North Carolina, definitely not around Keenan Stadium there. I would happily go back for a one more tour of duty. Well, I'll talk to my people, see if we can, you know, work that out, you know, because... <laughs> I have nobody there <laughs> that I could talk to. But hear me on this. I think there's so much power in 
in the motivation. I think there's so much power sometimes in our lives when we realize and recognize that, you know what, sometimes I got to pick myself up and I got to kind of walk forward and I got to keep walking forward. So on that thread, we'll kind of put a pin in it, as my mom would say, you know, a lot of times when I'd be talking, just put a pin in it right now. We're, we're, we're done talking. But I want to hear about you. I want to know about you. So if we were going to ask you this question, I know it seems bizarre, perhaps to some, what style of shoes do you like to wear and then what size are we in today if you don't mind sharing those things i'm a nike guy so i'm nike 11 and a half pretty much what i stick to i try to stay in tennis shoes as much as possible so <laughs> stay out of the dress shoes stay stay in the stay in the tennis shoes now is there a certain style of nike like is there are we talking about the runners are we talking about some hoop shoes what are we talking about yeah more more of the runners man more of the runners uh maybe a little bit of the kind of the lifestyle but i enjoy a little bit more of the of the runner now are you a runner at heart or is that just not in your wheelhouse or background in any way yeah you know what i try to uh i, I try to get in the gym four or five times a week and and uh do it do it do a little bit so i'm not going to say that i'm a runner because i have some friends like running marathons and stuff and they would be completely insulted <laughs> by me referring to myself as a runner however I, I do try to run a little bit i don't want to put you on the spot too much but there's a lot of verses in that book that you love so much that talk about running that race you know finishing the race completing the task so you should tell them like listen i'm just doing what the good book says i'm gonna i'm a, I'm a runner that's exactly right <laughs> yeah you gotta run and you can't get weary in well doing you know i'm trying to run a good race and i can't get <laughs> weary trying to do it so uh, and i gotta have the right shoes on to do that you know so that's what i'm trying for that's exactly right so philip if we were gonna get into your story and we were gonna get into kind of the depths and the essence of who you are. I'm really curious about this because for a lot of folks, when I put it out on social media, which is always scary, I know you're big on social media too. Sometimes, you know, it's good not to read the comments. Sometimes it is good to read the comments, you know, it just depends. But if we're going to talk about this walk away moment, do you have such a moment? And if so, what was that like? And, and why did you end up having to walk away from it? You know, one of the biggest walk away moments of my life was uh, having grown up as an athlete. I mean, I, I started playing, I started playing golf with my dad when I was three years old. He would take me out, got me a set of cut down clubs. I would, I would play right alongside with him three, four years old. And then, you know, you get six, seven, you start, you know, playing baseball and flag football and basketball. And I started playing all the sport at a young age. And that was such a massive part of, of my life on into high school. And, you know, was a all state football, all state in baseball, had opportunities continues to to play, you know, baseball in college, chose to go and, and play football at the University of North Carolina, as we talked about. And, you know, after a series of, of events and ended up at, injured my back, lifting weights, had back surgery, tried to come back that following spring after back surgery and just could not perform at the level that I knew I really needed to perform at. And I remember in spring practice, really trying to fight through and get back to that level. And I threw a deep out route to the right. I, I remember I, I stepped into it, you know, let it go the long pass, really let it go. And man, I just felt something just kind of go in my back, probably ended up being scar tissue, just tearing, you know, from my surgery. But nonetheless, left it felt like my my spine ripped out of my back you know and I'm laying there on the field you know and I just had that thought like I'm I'm probably never going to be in this helmet and pads again I mean I remember laying there just thinking this as the medical team was making their way over to talking to me and I just had that thought of like this is probably going to be it something that I've really spent my whole life doing 
now I'm, you know, 20 years old and realizing that this was probably going to be the last time I was ever going to be suited up. And, and, and it was, it, that's what it proved to be. And walking away from organized athletics, now being 44, there's a lot of time that's passed. But whenever you go back to being 20, that was, that, that was the entirety of my life. Like I could not remember my life without organized athletics. Having to walk away from something that had been such a massive part of my life and wondering, what is the future going to look like for me now without having this practice? And, you know, because I mean, it's a yearly commitment. It's not just like the, it's not just the format. It's a, it's a yearly commitment to play at that high level. Now, what is my life going to look like? What am I going to spend my time doing? What, what is my future going to look like without this in it? That was really, really a, a, a big moment for me. So how did it affect your identity in that? Well, you know, for me, I, I was really fortunate that as a teenager, I really found my identity in Jesus Christ. I, I'm obviously a person of faith and, and uh, that relationship with Christ started, uh, you know, really when I was uh, 16 years old. I started preaching when I was 18 years old. And so there was an identity that was firmly rooted in me that was outside of athletics. So for me, it wasn't as much about my identity, which I know that that can be. I mean, I played with a lot of guys that once their career was over, they really didn't know who they were. And that really wasn't me. Like I, I still knew who I was because I had this firm identity in my relationship with God. But for me, it was more what direction is is my life going now? Like, how am I going to fill my time? What What's going to be my motivator and like, kind of like my drive? What am I going to be moving towards in my life? So for me, it wasn't as much about identity as it was maybe about direction and motivation a little bit. Here's the thing that others need to know. You're not just kind of an okay quarterback <laughs> coming out of evangel high school you're highly recruited they put stars on kids now five star four star three star you're not like a one star two star quarterback like you're on this high level trajectory if i'm maybe emphasizing too much that you could one day be in the nfl i'm i'm gonna push on you pastor esther said i could so blame her (laughs) (laughs) can't help but push on that a little bit and say your identity wasn't affected in any way yeah that's a great question and i really appreciate you push on that because it, it really is a big part of my of, of my story and that what I'm saying really is true that the identity was not impacted. Yeah, it, as you said, you know, in, in high school, I did have a lot of success, multiple times state champion. I broke a couple national passing records for high school football. So I did have a lot of success. And at the time that I signed with North Carolina. I mean, we were a top 10 recruiting class that year. We were, they had finished number nine in the country the year before, 10 and two. Uh, my freshman year, we ended up 11 and one, finished number four in the country. So, I mean, we, it was a, it was a top 10 program at that time that I, that I committed to go to and play there. But for me, on the identity side, my favorite verse in the Bible, Romans 8, 28, that says, God causes all things to work together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Purpose. And I know I knew that I loved God and I knew that I was called according to his purpose. With that, I had the assurance that no matter what happened in my life, good, bad, or ugly, that God had the ability to cause it to work together for my good. And that promise is, is what my identity rested in. So whenever I knew that my playing career was coming to an end, 
it didn't shake my identity because my identity it was in was in my faith and in that promise that God had had given to me and and to all of those that follow Him. And so because of that, I you know I might not I was a little uncertain about the direction and what was next, and I didn't know what it would look like. But I never I never doubted like and wondered oh what's going to happen to me as a person because my identity was so rooted in the person of Christ and the promises of Christ and because of that it just created such a firm foundation for me walking through that that was difficult. I'm not saying it wasn't difficult. I'm not saying it wasn't hard. I mean, when, when something that you've worked so hard for comes to an end, like, let's don't make a light of that. It was a very difficult thing to walk through because there there were aspirations to play at a, a high level, to have success at the college level, to possibly have a chance to go and play in the NFL. So it's not that it wasn't hard. It's just that I knew I could make it through because of the promises that God has given us. I had to look up that roster to make sure I was right on some names. 97's been a minute. Chris Keldorf, I remember watching yeah. him and what an amazing quarterback he was, you know, senior quarterback on that team. And then on the defensive side, I always respected this guy, Dre Bly. I think he was a, a, a good shutdown corner. I like him to Dion in some respects, maybe not to that level, but kind of close. You know, went on to have, yep. a, have a nice career with the Rams. And now he's back. I think he's doing some defensive stuff on there. He is. For me, and I think others would maybe echo this, but I think so many times we hear about an athlete who loses that edge or loses that ability to play and we think, okay, awesome. They were going to be awesome and now they're not. And and it does wreck them. I mean, we hear about that. I mean, I interviewed a guy named Todd Marinovich who played for the Raiders in SC. Yeah. When he lost it, he, he was grateful, but he still kind of misses it in some respects. But for you, do you ever think, and again, I know you could play the what if game all day long but do you ever think that god in his hindsight his sovereignty knew that he had something better for you i want to pause there so think on that and then on the second hand i'm sure this was not true of you was football ever an idol for you or being an athlete was that ever an idol in your life that you had to maybe wrestle with no that's a great question football was never an idol for me football was for me was something that i loved and something that i used to create a platform for me for influence that was the way that I saw the game of, of football. I loved it and I was going to use it for the gospel. I was going to I was going to use it for influence, whether that's with, you know, with, with teammates there in the locker room, if that was with young younger kids, you know, listening because, oh, wow, this guy, you know, plays college football and having their attention and their respect, you know, using that for the kingdom. So it, it never was an idol for me. The interesting thing that I discovered when my playing career ended what happened is I started coaching. So I just kind of moved into, for my for my last year, like I was considered like a student coach. So I just helped kind of help coach the quarterback. I started doing the signals on the sideline. It was kind of my entry into this world of college coaching, which I ended up spending two years in and really loved before I, I came back home and started coaching back at my alma mater, Evangel Christian Academy. So for me, the, the thing that's not normal, I would say, for, for most athletes, most athletes go into coaching because they loved playing so much and they just want to stay around 
their memories of themselves play. It's a dime a dozen. You go to a coaching convention and those coaches are talking about what they used to do on the field. And they're talking about all the things that they used to accomplish. And it's like they're coaching just to try to hang on to this former life and this former glory. And they would rather be doing that than, you know, working at Enterprise Rent-A-Car or whatever it is, right? It just keeps them closer to who they used to be which is that identity thing that we're talking about. But for me, what I found, it was completely the opposite. The joy and fulfillment that I got out of coaching far exceeded any joy and fulfillment that I ever got out of play. Me coaching a quarterback, watching them execute what we worked on all week long and throw a touchdown pass in a football game, the feeling that I get out of that is 10x any feeling that I ever had throwing a touchdown pass on my own. And that's not normal. And I realized that. And I think that that's what, God, that's what God wired me for. God wired me to coach. He didn't really wire me to play. He wired me to coach. He, he wired me to, to inspire and instruct other people to go out and perform at a high level so that they might enjoy that success and realizing that, that my success and my greatest fulfillment is going to be in helping other people fulfill their, their dreams and their desires and seeing that does something for me. So in the sovereignty of God, obviously God wired me this way. It wasn't something that I did on my own. It's just kind of something that I walked into and I discovered. And so, you know, I'm really wired to coach. And so the transition from playing all of these years to stepping into coaching it was an easy and a smooth transition just coming off of my injury and I wasn't able to play anymore. So I just kind of started doing something with my time and found out, wow, I really love this. I'm, I'm good at this. And this is super fulfilling for me. And it just kind of kept me on that track even into today. Which gets you more excited? Seeing your protege, we'll call them, your student, the one you're, you're pouring into, you're coaching, seeing them throw a, you know, that game-winning touchdown pass, maybe that again that you're talking about working on that week, or maybe it's not even the game winner, but seeing them see that that fulfillment of the touchdown pass. Because let's face it, not a lot of people can say they've thrown a touchdown pass in a game that counted. <laughs> I've thrown a lot in my backyard, but none of them counted. By the way, you know, I've 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 been Joe Montana in my backyard. I'm better than he is, I'll tell you. Or seeing somebody learn and hear about the redemptive power of Jesus and then their life has changed and they make a decision for Jesus. But which gets you more excited? Yeah, well, I mean, I think obviously seeing people take a step <laughs> of in their faith journey, realizing that that's going to impact every area of their life. Helping a quarterback throw a touchdown pass, that's going to help them on the field, but it's not going to really help them in any other area necessarily, you know. Seeing somebody take a step of faith, realizing that that decision that they make, that choice, man, it's going to influence their relationships. It's going to influence their profession. It's going to influence everything that they do. So for me, whenever you're looking at the full scope of impact, oh man, there's nothing compared to seeing people take and move towards God simply because I know what it's going to do in every area of their life. To say that I, I also don't love helping people throw touchdown passes, I'd be lying because I love watching people <laughs> throw touchdown passes and win games and win championships. So I, I love both, but there's nothing like seeing people take a, a step towards towards God. Yeah, I I knew the answer to that already. <laughs> you just seem so excited about it. Like, I don't know if that always translates to audio, but you lit up a little bit. I mean, you lit up equally. Well, maybe a little more when you're talking about people coming to Christ, but you were pretty excited about Junior or JoJo throwing his touchdown pass. <laughs> You've been in ministry a long time now, right? Yeah. 
number of years. Hardest challenge, coaching young people or pastoring a church? <laughs> oh, man, you're not, even, you're not even playing fair now, man. You're not even playing fair. That's not a layup question. I feel like that is a hard question. <laughs> yeah, no, that is a very, very, very hard question. You know, I tell you what, I will say coaching teenagers, you are putting your success in the hands of a of a 16 or 17 year old high school kid doing the right thing on a Friday night there there is no stress and tension like that and then realizing that you know this is somebody's son that I know right I know their parents right <laughs> and put it, mixing all of that in there as well that is definitely challenging now I've been really grateful to pastor an, an awesome church an awesome community an awesome group of people not to say that there you know obviously are, are, are challenges and, and issues Coaching teenagers at a very high level, getting them to perform at, you know, a state championship level, knowing what that takes, knowing what that demands, and having to inspire them, motivate them, keep them focused for the, the length of time that that requires. Just so much goes into that. It's not just like teaching them plays. It's not just, I mean, you, you, you have to start at the very basic level of a spirit of excellence and resilience. You, you have to start at that level of character and integrity. You, you have to start at those levels because you can't rise to a performance on the field if you are not the person you need to be when you walk onto that field. And so it's like you you can be you can be talent, but you know, like John Maxwell's book, right? Talent is never enough. You can be super talented, but the most talented team doesn't win the championships. It's the team that walks onto the field that's most prepared, not just to catch the ball and throw the ball and make the block and, and make the tackle, but it's the team that goes on prepared on the inside, knowing how to overcome adversity, knowing how to deal with disappointment, knowing what it's going to take out of them when it comes to character and integrity throughout the year, loving your teammate, all of the things that have to go into it, man, that that is a great, great, great challenge. So I would have to say from my experience, coaching teenagers in a championship season is going to be more difficult than pastoring a church. Yeah, I've been in youth ministry since I was like 19 on some level. We had a senior pastor who was a former football athlete. I think he was a running back maybe even a lineman, but never a quarterback. But he would use quarterback analogies, and I was like, I don't know if you know what you're saying here. <laughs> so anyway, I just always think that's funny. But for you, I mean, again, going back to this, you were actively coaching and pastoring at the same time. Is there any any pushback from your church saying, like, listen, you, we need your attention over here in the steeple, so to speak, not in the stadium? Yeah, you know, I did that for a number of years. I coached and pastored. Uh, and matter of fact, I mean, I coached football up until 2016. That was my last season to coach and coached multiple state championship teams in that time period. So that that just means you play longer. I mean, that's all that means. When you co coach a championship team, that, that means you're playing into December. So your season is lasting from the first week of August when you start camp until into December. So it, it's a good five-month run of intense focus. So we are performing at a high level on the field. Uh, and I think, you know, whenever whenever you have a great team, which is what we have, uh, you know, in our in our church, and we have a great team of people, a great staff, and whenever people know that they're loved, they're seen, they're cared for, they're taken care of, and quality uh, of, of a Sunday experience is going to be great, the, the, the message is going to be strong, the community is going to be strong, that's what people are, are really looking for. You know, nobody nobody ever comes up and asks me, hey, what were you doing at 10 o'clock on Tuesday, right? Or, or where were you uh, Wednesday afternoon at 3 o'clock, right? No, no. 
nobody's asking that. You know, they, they want to know, you know, are my kids going to have a great experience when they come? Is my baby going to be safe when I drop them off? And then whenever I come into the service for an hour and 15 minutes, am I going to have the opportunity to, to feel God's presence, to be encouraged by his word? That's what they really want to know. And then if I'm in crises, is somebody going to be there for me? And as long as you can do those things, what you do during the week is not not as important when you can take care of your people. And so I've been grateful to have a good team. We, we take care of our people. We love them well. We provide a great weekend experience. And that's really what has given me the opportunity to, to coach a lot of football. And I have loved doing both of those things. I mean, come on, let's face it. Pastors only work one day a week, right? <laughs> that's what they say. <laughs> All right. Just checking. And last time I checked, Friday nights are not Sunday nights, so you're good. That's right. And, that's, you know, that's right. It's fine. There's bus trips. I'm sure you're writing sermon notes on the bus trip. It's fine. You got, it's totally hey, fine. Get it in where you can fit it in, man. <laughs> I've never had anybody put this on our intake form, by the way. We always ask this question. We always ask, you know, what what is the biggest challenge you've encountered? You know, you talk about having your five kids, you know, being married to this amazing woman. You didn't say she was a challenge, just for the record, in case she hears this back. <laughs> Tried to help you out there. Thank you. But you did put weaknesses. Nobody's put that. And you put empathy and sympathy. Why? Yeah, well, I think it's important for, for people to, to know that. Because what, what can happen is people can see you and go, oh, wow, man, college athlete. Oh, wow. Oh, now you're preacher, pastor. Oh, wow. You're doing all these other things. And, and then, oh, wow. Okay. And they can start thinking it's unattainable. Like, you're just, you must have everything together. And I can tell you, if you talk to the people closest to me, they can talk to you about my, my flaws. And, and that's really it. It's been the, it's been the, the challenge for me because that, that's kind of what, you know, what that question was asking, like, what is my challenge? That is my weakness. Having empathy and sympathy is what I've had to work the most on. I don't know where that comes from. My parents were, were both really tough. My, my parents were both really high achievers. My, my parents finished number one and two in their college graduating class. So that, you know, they, they were really going for it. So my parents were both very high achievers. We worked very hard. And I think in athletics, that just kind of carried over a very, very tough, very driven type of world. And so I don't know, and probably it fits into just personality, right? Just a little bit how I was wired to and then kind of being reinforced by my parenting, reinforced by my sports experience as well. Having empathy and sympathy is, is really something that I've, I've really had to, to work hard on. I, I'm, I'm the person that I'm wired to say, no matter what happens, okay, whatever, that's over suck it up. Let's move on. I'm not saying it wasn't bad, but like, why are we going to sit here and talk about it? Why are we going to cry over that? Like, let's just, let's get up and move on. Like, cause my mentality, right. is like the next play, right? Like it doesn't matter. Okay. You, you fumbled the ball. Who cares? We got to run the next play. You threw an interception. It doesn't matter. We got to get back out there and run the next play. And that's how my, my mentality is really wired for myself. But what I've discovered is, is that's not everybody's mentality and not everybody's experience. And so therefore my lack of empathy sometimes and my lack of sympathy for, for their pain, for their disappointment, for what they're going through has really hindered me. And so years ago, I, I just kind of really came into this like, man, this is, this is what I, I really need to work on. My, my wife used to tell me, she goes, you have this chip missing in your computer like it's just missing like just the sympathy empathy, like it's just it's missing you just need to be aware of that and really that, that has helped me tremendously because my awareness of my lack of that 
really helped me create that in, in situations. And now, you know, being a father of five, I realize, oh man, there are moments where I just need to have empathy and sympathy. It's not a get up, dust yourself off, move forward. I mean, there are those moments, but there need to be moments of empathy and sympathy and just fitting in that discomfort and that disappointment and just letting people have that moment to, to grieve that loss or to, to have sorrow over that the thing that didn't work out the way that it does. Man, it's really helped me. So it's, it's helping me be a better parent. It's helping me be a better pastor. It's really helping me be a better person. If I'm going to lean towards a weakness field, that's going to be it. Uh, that's what I constantly have to remind myself of. And I'm always working to be more empathetic and, and sympathetic. Harder to be empathetic or read a defense? Oh, much harder to be empathetic. <laughs> Re- reading a defense in real time on film doesn't matter. Way easier than than having an ounce of empathy, <laughs> much less a spoonful of it. Yeah, I got to go with empathy on that one. I heard somebody say once, you can't teach somebody to have empathy. You can't teach somebody to to be sympathetic or empathetic. You can't. You can't teach that. Either you have it or you don't. What would you say to that? You know, I don't know that you can teach somebody how to do it, but I think when there is a desire for it, it can be learned. I couldn't teach you how to be empathetic. If you had a desire to become more empathetic, I could show you how that would be possible if you want, if you really want to learn how to do it. So I think it is, it can be learned. Now, there are people who are wired for it, and my, my wife would be one of those. It's a natural thing for her. And I think this podcast is great, right? Like in other people's shoes. And the reason I really put that in there is because my wife is so good at putting herself in other people's shoes because she is so sympathetic and empathetic. The challenge for me to get in other people's shoes is my sympathy and empathy. And so if I'm going to get in their shoes, I have got to have a level of empathy and sympathy to be able to do that. But I wanted to learn that. So once I became aware that this was really missing and this was something that I needed, I have worked so hard to create the skill because it's not going to be natural for me. It's never going to become that. I can pray all that I want to pray. I can fast all that I want to fast. I can do whatever, but it's never going to be natural for me. It can be learned. It can be a skill that I develop and it's a skill that I want to develop and I've worked to develop. I would say that I am living proof that, okay, maybe you can't teach somebody, but if somebody wants to learn, then it can be a learned skill that you can implement in your life. I think it all starts with the desire. And I think once the desire is birthed, I think a lot of things can definitely take place in that. I love that. So you've had a fair amount of coaches, I'm guessing, not only in the spiritual realm, we'll say, you know, as far as church leadership, you mentored under them, a head coach, which I was really mad that we re hired again, by the way, Mac Brown, still not a fan of. I liked Fedora. He was good. Larry Fedora, but apparently not that good because we got rid of him. We being Carolina. Now, if we could somehow get Hubert Davis to learn how to coach football, we might be a little bit better because he turned our heels quite yes, on their he heels. He, he did this a good job. Year, which I was very sad to see Roy retire. And then when I heard Hubert was coming up, I was like, okay, all right. Yeah. We're in good hands. We're like all yeah. We're in good hands with Hubert Davis. But in the coaching realm, What's one coach or maybe a philosophy, maybe a lesson? What's one lesson? I'm sure there've been many, but what's, if we can narrow it down to maybe one or a few that a coach really poured into you and now you use not only in your life, but you also pass along to others. Yeah. You know, I think off of the field, uh, one of my, one of my coaches, just kind of one of my life coaches said something to me years ago. Uh, I was just, I 
I had just come back home to, to coach and to pastor and I was in my early 20s and he said, do something today that your future self will thank you for. And it really created a mentality in me of realizing, oh, okay, so like what I want in my future depends upon what I do today. And the decisions I do today, I don't want to look back in my future and have regrets over. I want to, I want to say, thank you. Thank, thank you for making that right decision. Thank you for, for doing that thing. And so that was just a great piece of life advice that is really, really carried with me. You know, on, on the football field, the thing that I would say that I, I really walked away from is this idea that, that hard work really does pay off. That when you work hard, there is a tremendous payoff. Now, that does not mean that you're going to win every game. The hard work doesn't mean that you're going to get all of the accolades or, you know, whatever it is. But the hard work pays off. And, and I say that because I put in a lot of hard work over a, over a long career that didn't pay off in terms of an NFL contract or didn't pay off in terms of even having a lot of success at the college level because of my injury. But that hard work paid off. That hard work has given me a mindset and a mentality that has allowed me to step into my next world and have a lot of success. That hard work paid off because it taught me lessons. It built a foundation in me. It taught me things. It taught me this resilience. It taught me this work ethic. It, ta it taught me about paying the price. It taught me about these things. And these things have allowed me to have success after that. And so whenever you know th those coaches were saying hard work pays off, it doesn't just pay off in that season it pays off forever. It doesn't just pay off in your athletic career. It pays off beyond that. I really believe that that, that principle has really helped propel me, not just on the field, but off the field. Do you ever look at what happened to you and, and ever say, man, what could have been? You ever played that game or do you not allow yourself to do that? You know, I, I really don't allow myself to do that. It's, I haven't had this conversation in so long. And I was with a pastor friend of mine who, who also played college football. And he was just asking this question. He was like, how? He's like, I've never heard you talk about this. He goes, after all we've been around, I've never heard you talk about your past. I've never heard you talk about what could, he's a, all the time we spent, I've never, I've never heard this from you honestly because I, I don't ever I never think about that once that was over it was like that chapter was great now I'm so incredibly grateful for the memories that I had for accomplishments that are there I'm, I'm so grateful for all of those things but when that was over it's like okay the next chapter started and I've loved the next chapter more than I love the last chapter and with every chapter that closes I mean I I coach football for the majority of these years, 02 until 2016. The majority of those years, I was gone a couple years. My wife was in law school. We lived overseas a little bit. But the majority of those 15 years, I mean, I was, I was coaching ball and, and won seven championships, six or seven championships in those years. And uh, that, was a, that was a fun, awesome time. But then that chapter closed in 2016. And I started a new chapter in terms of, of high performance executive coaching now. And, that, and that's, that's kind of what I do now. And I love that. So it's like every chapter for me, gets better and better. I mean, every time a chapter is done and I turn the page, it's like, I'm, I'm more excited about this next chapter than I am that last chapter. And that doesn't, that doesn't mean I didn't appreciate those chapters. I didn't love it. No, I, I, I did, but I don't ever look back and say, well, what, what could have been because it wasn't. So I just say that, man, for me, that's just, that's wasted. That's wasted time. It's wasted energy. I don't look back and have that conversation because it, it, it wasn't what it was. And so I'm going to take what it is and I'm going to, I'm going to use that for what it can be in the 
future in a, in a different direction. And so that's, that's the kind of the way that I've always approached that. And I've really, I've really never given it, you know, any thought. And it's funny because my, my kids now, my, my oldest daughter, she's 11. You know, it was a couple of years ago when somebody was talking to her about her dad playing football and being good and she was like dad you played football like, like, like well yeah babe you know I, I played a little bit you know and then uh, the more they grow up and the more people tell them like no your dad didn't just play like your dad like has like record like he broke records like he was like the best in the state of louisiana and they're like dad you were like really good and i was like yeah babe i, yeah, I was pretty good and it, there's not any of that in our in our home and and not really intentionally not that i'm trying not to do no that's not it at all but it's just i've moved on and so we live in the next chapter and not in the last chapter or the last in chapters i don't really go there in in my mind i'm, I'm grateful for what was and i'm grateful for what is what is coming but i think so many times i hear of former athletes especially high school athletes when they've had that great success when they've had that maybe state notoriety or that national notoriety you know i wonder about this like i i don't know him personally but he came out of our hometown there's this guy named kyle singler he went on to play at the university of puke you know for four years took him to the national championship and apparently they won it barely butler should have beat him i don't know him personally but i do know people who know him he's really excited about the fact that he was a four-year starter at south medford high school before he went on to puke and and their success and if you could call it that, I don't know. I wouldn't call it that. <laughs> There's so many guys that stay in that moment. They stay in the moment of high school. They stay stuck there. They're like, that's who I was. That's my identity. That's who I am. And they can't get away from the fact that, no, you're better than that. You're, you're still reading the old newspaper clippings when the newspaper isn't around anymore. Yeah. Like, what would you say to somebody right now who's listening to us who says, you know what? I am a little bit stuck in the past. I'm a Marty McFly. I'm still stuck in that high school days of of wanting that success again, of wanting to feel that success again, wanting to see my name in the paper again. What would you say to that person in this moment? Yeah, you know, it, it, it is hard to move into your next when you have one foot stuck in your past. It, it's hard to move forward into what's possible whenever you're stuck in, in what has happened behind you. And so I, I think the thing that, that I would say, you know, to that person is typically not, not maybe not everybody, but typically what happens is that people get addicted to a certain feeling, feeling important, feeling valued, feeling celebrated. They get addicted to that feeling and the fear is in the next season, I won't be as valued. I won't be as important. I won't be as worthy. I won't be. And so they try to hang on it to what's behind them because they're afraid that that feeling won't be there in the future. And I would just say, if you are if you are growing and developing as a person, and if you are moving forward into the next level, those things are always going to be there. There, there should be people that value you for your wisdom, for your work, for your attitude. There's going to be people that value you for what you bring to the table. There's going to be people that celebrate you when you do good at anything, whether that's hosting a podcast, whether that's selling insurance, whatever it is that you do, you can do it in such a way that people will say, thank you for what you do, because you do this in such an excellent way. It's adding value to my life. It's serving me so well. So that feeling is there, but so many times it's the fear that it's not going to be there that keeps people hanging on to, to what was. And so I think the biggest thing that we can do is go, let, let go of that fear and go, I'm going to move forward 
believing that the feelings that are behind me, you're not going to be making three-pointers and hitting home runs and scoring touchdowns, but that feeling can be replicated because what you're doing is you're just giving people what they want. When you hit a home run and they're cheering for you, they're they're cheering because you gave them what they want. You go up there and strike out. They're not cheering for you. Right, you strike out three dollars. Boo! You know they're booing you. They're not. They're not for you. They're for what you can provide for them. And you were you you were talented, and so you gave them what they wanted. You gave them a win. You gave them a great hit. You gave them a three point. You gave them great memories. You were giving them what they wanted, so they were cheering for you. Well, you can do that in the future too. You can serve people so well, encourage people so well, love people so well that they will celebrate you for who you are, for what you're doing in the future. And so that's really what I would say. And it's the fear that really keeps us back. Move boldly into your future and, and do something that will cause people to celebrate you and cheer for you the same way that you that you did in the past. It's just in a different venue, in a different form. No, I think that's powerful stuff. I think a lot of times though, in church settings especially, is you start to see people who wanna be on stage. Oh, I, I gotta get up there. Like whatever it takes, I, I got to get up there because they're addicted or obsessed or that becomes an idol in their life where they have to be on the stage. They have to be front and center. Look at me. What's the danger in that if, if somebody doesn't get rid of that maybe in their life? Oh, man. You know, I, I think for me, that, that's always a huge red flag when somebody wants to be on the stage, but they won't stack the chairs. They, they want to be on the platform, but not gonna work or serve in any other capacity. Like that's always a red flag for me as a leader, because I realized that the, the platform should come out of an overflow of your heart. And, and I kind of believe this just in general leadership. If I'm going after a title or going after a position are going after a platform and and that's what I'm going after, that's not going to end up well because it should really be the overflow, right? It should be the overflow. Like the reason that I'm getting promoted in leadership or management is because I really want to serve more people. Like I want to benefit more people. I want to be a blessing to more people. And it's the outflow of me. Like I'm helping you whether I have the title or not. I'm going to serve you whether I have the platform or not because that's who I am. And whenever that's your your motive, your motivation, you're going to get that promotion. You're going to get that new job. You're you're going to get on that platform and get that mic because it's coming out of the right place. And you know that's one thing that I tell our church all the time. I'm not, I am not a preacher by by profession. Like I'm I'm not a professional pastor. That's not what I set out to be. This is the overflow of my life. I started teaching the Bible in college. I had Bible studies. People were coming, things were happening. We grew a Bible study to over 300 people when I was in college. It's just the overflow of my life. Like I, I, I would be doing this like before I was getting paid. I didn't go to seminary to do this, to have a job. I just did this and like every season of my life and somebody was like, wow, you do a good job. Why don't you come back and lead a youth ministry? I did that and you know, and it grew and it seemed good and came here to do church and it grew. It's just, it's the overflow of my life. It's not something that I was seeking. It's just something that I started doing before anybody ever paid me for it. <laughs> and, and it just grew. And, and I just believe that it's out of the overflow. It's just who I am. It's not, I want to be on the mic. I want to be on the stage. I want to have get that promotion. If people approach leadership, whether in church or, or in the corporate world in that way, I want to serve my way there, right? I, I, want, I want to add so much value that they can't help but promote me because that's the type of person that I am. And so I think whenever we approach life with that attitude, we, we get promoted into positions 
and it works out good because we're there for the right reason. And there's no crash. There's, there's no crash after that. It's just up and up and up because the, the, the motive and the motivation is in the right place. One, I think as a quarterback, your job really is to serve and facilitate. Yeah, you get to be the glory one who gets to maybe throw the pass. Really, you're a facilitator. You're taking the team and moving them down the field in a facilitation That's fashion. Right. So I love that. Philip. if people are hearing you right now and they're like, man, I want to know more about this guy. I want to get connected with this guy. I want to know more about what he's about and maybe hear a little bit more about you. What's the best way someone can do that? Absolutely. Well, two two ways. I'm very active on, on social media, Instagram. My name is my Instagram handle, Philip D's. That's two L's and Philip D's, D-E-A-S. And then also, same thing, philipd's.com. That's my website. From my Instagram uh, to my website, people can, can get more information, follow along the journey. I, I try to provide multiple posts of, of inspiration and, and motivation and a little instruction in there as we go uh, very active in, in those places. So even if someone's not a faith, they could still go and hear some motivation and get some, you know, maybe coaching pep talks, if you will. Absolutely. 100%. I, I would say they're probably going to even get more of that than they might even get of faith. If they want faith, they can listen to our church podcast. But during the week, I really want to supply motivation and inspiration. And the reason I do that, for me, everything is spiritual, obviously. I mean, everything is spiritual. I believe all truth is God's truth. And that's how it all comes back. For me. But what I try to do is put some things out there for people where they can show their coworkers, uh, where they can share it with their family who aren't people of faith and it can add value. And so that's why, you know, I really try to make my, my social media accessible and, and encouraging and inspiring for everyone and make that even an, an open door, creating an open door of getting people to, to watch that, be encouraged by that. And maybe it even creates an open door for you know, if they live here in Louisiana, maybe they'll, maybe they they will come to church one day or just follow along because I, every now and then I, I, I will uh, sprinkle a little faith in there as well. But the majority of stuff that I do, it really is for everybody. And so, uh, and I, and I try to keep it that way. That's awesome. I heard there might be a new book on the horizon too. Is that, did I hear that right? That is true. We, uh, me and my wife, we were publishing our first book uh, it's coming out in October. Um, it's called House habit. Uh, and, uh, it's 12 habits that, uh, have built our house and that would be our family house, but also our house of worship. And it's, it's 12 habits to help you live on mission and live with purpose every day. And so super excited about it. Looking forward to getting that out into the world in October. Is there one habit that was really hard to write and really hard to follow? Well, I think it's, it's interesting. The first habit goes along with what we've been talking about. And, and and the first habit is that we live on. And that means that we live on through adversity. We live on through difficulty. We live on through pain and setbacks, right? We live on. And it's very important. It's funny that this, this conversation is kind of coming full circle here at the end because intentionally I put that habit first because if you can't live on through the difficulties and the disappointments of life, then none of the other habits are going to matter. So when things don't work out your way, if you can't live on through that, then you're never going to get to the other side. And, and the other habits that are going to help support that future, they become not important because you've got to learn how to live on. So that chapter wasn't the hardest one to write. That chapter was kind of the easiest one to write, but that chapter is the one that I believe is the most valuable and the most important. And that's why it is our first house habit because we, we must learn what it is to live on 
through all the challenges of life so that we can get to the other side. I love that. So watch for that in major bookstores, right? Barnes and Noble, places like that. Hey, why not? <laughs> all right. Well, I like to end the show with silliness. Now, I've been told by my executive team that says you can't call it a game because it's not really a game. It's just silliness. So this is for my executive team. We are now acknowledging the fact that it is not a game. <laughs> Okay. It's not a game. It is just silliness that we end the show with. So here we go. Some silliness to end the show with. This silliness called Sense Lit. And uh, I, I tried my very best to find a LSU Tiger Cup. You know, knowing that you were coming, we couldn't get one. We had to get the North Carolina Cup. Now, little backstory. This is broken. It was broken. I don't know if you can kind of see that in the camera there. But I see that. Fell off a shelf and it literally split in half. So it is truly a broken vessel for God's purpose. <laughs> so I'm going to roll this. This is just silliness we do at the end of the show. And it is six random questions about senses. And then the six is a wild card. And you got that. Yep. I think it might be backwards. You got that number four there, which says this. When you hear this sound, it always makes you smile. When I hear this sound, I always smile. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind is eye of the tiger. Like, it's funny that you said just they couldn't get an LSU cup, and I'm certainly not a huge LSU fan, but I have to say, whenever I hear Eye of the Tiger, I mean, it's like time to get locked in, focus in, a grin's going to come across my face, and it's, it's go time, man. When you hear that, it's like, it's time to get ready, it's time to compete, it's time to win. And there's nothing like that that's going to put a smile on my face. Okay, so Eye of the Tiger, if we're going to put it on a ranking system, because, yeah. you know, nowadays you have to rank everything. So hearing Eye of the Tiger or hearing your wife say I love you, oh, what is man. better? You know, I, I'm going to have to go with the Eye of the Tiger right there, man. I'm going to have to go with the Eye of the Tiger, <laughs> you know. Uh, hope my wife didn't make it all the way to the end of the podcast. I hope she stopped somewhere along the way. I mean, you know, Eye of the Tiger, man. You know, I, I'm grateful for my wife's love. It happened. You know, she, she tells me that every day. But, man, I don't, I don't listen to Eye of the Tiger every day. So whenever I hear that, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's go time. <laughs> That's funny stuff. That is absolutely funny stuff. Just want to say thank you so much for coming on. I know you got a lot of things that you're juggling schedule-wise, and I appreciate you just giving us a few moments today. I really appreciate that, man. Absolutely. Thank you. Been an honor. All right, guys and gals, kids and campers alike, that is it. That is all. That is our show today. Now, here's the question I have for you. Now, some of you are not sports fans. I know my executive team, most of you are not sports fans. But I hope we can see the value in what he said. And you might have missed it, so I'm going to recap it for you right here. The next play. What is that next? Next play for you. Now, some of you like to play card games. Some of you like to play pickleball. I do. I've started to hurt myself playing pickleball. Another story on that. But I'm serious. Like, what is the next play for you? Do you want to look at what you've done and say, okay, made a mistake. Now it's time to walk up, time to start again, time to have that eye of the tiger kind of attitude and go again. Because when I first started this season, a lot of people were like, whoa, walk away. That seems real negative. Like you're leaving something. Well, yeah, sometimes you are. You have to leave the previous play to start the new play. So today I want to ask you this question before we get out of here. And that's this. What's your next play? What's that thing you need to start right now? Maybe it's to be more positive. Maybe it's to be more empathetic, more sympathetic. Maybe it's to care more. Maybe it's just to care in general. Or maybe maybe it's to be a motivated person to say, okay, I'm not going to allow my past to define my future. Just a thought for you. Another thought as we get out of here, and that's this. Remember this. Don't ever forget this. Underline it. Circle it. Whatever it takes. Put it on a bumper sticker, maybe. Remember, when you walk in other people's shoes, you really do get a different perspective on life. Thank you so much for listening, and stay tuned till next week when we walk in other people's shoes.